The Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129 presents America This Week, a smart Catholic take on faith and culture with Father Matt Malone and Carrie Weber. Good day. You're listening to America This Week, a smart Catholic take on faith and culture. I'm Carrie Weber, executive editor for America Magazine. And I'm Father Eric Sundrup, and each week we offer news and analysis at the intersection of the church and the world gathered by the team here at America Magazine, and I'm filling in for Father Matt Malone today. Indeed, and one of our wonderful team members at America is with us today, Olga Segura. Welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. Glad to have you. And in a little bit, we'll be joined by yet another member of our team, Michael O'Loughlin, who's our national correspondent, who will be talking with us a bit about the recent bishops meeting in Baltimore. Uh, a bit about how uh, their their voting around sex abuse went or didn't go. Didn't happen. <laughs> didn't happen. And a bit on the new pastoral letter on racism, which is the first in almost 40 years that the, that the bishops have put out. Uh, and Olga has also covered that for our site, so she'll be sharing her thoughts as well. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Carrie. Good to be with you. Uh, so I wonder if you can just briefly tell us a little bit about... Um, the this the how the how the uh the the sense of uh how everyone was feeling at this bishops meeting in the midst of some of this chaos and what you observed there. Yeah, I have to say uh, the meeting was uh, really remarkable. Um, people, uh, lay Catholics, were expecting there'd be some sort of action uh, on the sex abuse crisis because they were told in the week leading up to it that there would be. Uh, and I think bishops went in uh, feeling energized, like they were ready to make some progress. Uh, and then on Monday morning, when Cardinal Tenardo made the announcement that the Vatican had asked them to hold off on uh, any sort of vote, uh, there was a kind of draining of energy from the room. You could tell that uh, bishops were taken by surprise. Uh, most of them found out at that announcement. A handful of uh, U.S. cardinals who were in the room found out uh, right before the announcement came. So really, everyone was kind of shocked by this. And you saw some, um, for what counts as debate at a bishop's conference, usually these things are very highly produced and people uh, know what's going to be said. But there were some bishops who got up and said, we need to do something. Our Car- Cardinal Soup Bishop of Chicago uh, stood up right away and said, we should take a non-binding vote if we can't vote on the actual proposals to show that we're serious about moving forward. Uh, other bishops um, were more, uh, I think, visibly upset. They they were surprised that their work uh, that had gone into these proposals uh, wouldn't be adopted at this meeting. And it was kind of, I think, a disappointment to everyone, uh, whether they supported the proposals or not, because after months of work, um, there'd be no tangible outcome from the meeting. Yeah. And so what uh, what are some things that have come out of this meeting? Um what what did they do? Did they did they vote uh, in a non-binding way in the end? Did they uh, have some level of discussion? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, honestly, as as a reporter covering it, the whole experience was kind of bizarre because you had these three or four different proposals related to sex abuse, um, and uh, one of them would have established a uh, lay review board to handle allegations of either abuse or mismanagement against bishops. Uh, one. Another would have established a hotline for lay people or priests to report allegations of abuse or mismanagement by bishops. Um, a third uh, managed what bishops who were removed uh, from ministry over mismanagement, what uh, penalties they would incur. And a final one uh, that would have set sort of uh, guidelines for bishops on how they're supposed to live out their uh, 
their their call, their ordination as a bishop. And uh, so you had this announcement Monday morning that there would be no vote, but they went ahead with the meeting anyway and sort of debated uh, these different proposals, sort of the pros and cons, um, how they were uh, created. Um, different committees spent the last couple of months working on these things. And I, I think something that emerged um, for people who watch bishops uh, closely, like I do, uh, it, it's very unlikely these things would have passed even if there had been a vote. Uh, there was a high level of disagreement about the uh, sort of strengths and weaknesses of each proposal. Uh, it was clear, I think, that there were a lot of unanswered questions. I mean, there literally were a lot of unanswered questions from bishops to the people who created the proposals about different changes that would be needed in church law, about how much money it would cost to fund things like this, about who would appoint board members, who would re appoint review board members. Uh, it was just clear that um, the, some bishops I spoke to said that it seems like the ideas were good, the uh, thoughts behind them were uh, motivated by a desire to do something right, but that they maybe hadn't spent enough time thinking through the logistics of creating what would be a really substantial change. So in the end, you had bishops kind of talking about uh, their desire to keep moving forward on the issue, but I think you had a lot of disappointment that there were no concrete steps, and uh, different reform groups in the church certainly expressed uh, their anger that, once again, uh, Catholics are being told to be patient on this issue, uh, something that's been going on for decades now. Mike, a, a quick question. Do you, do you think the bishops, by and large, are aware of the level of that, that anger and frustration uh, among the faithful? I think some are. Um, some that I spoke to certainly said that you know, they were going home to dioceses where they would encounter um, faithful Catholics who were very angry about this. Uh, they seemed to understand that uh, they felt that they've only had a couple months to deal with this issue because it uh, kind of broke open again uh, this summer with the news of Cardinal McCarrick. Uh, but I think a lot of lay Catholics and uh, reform groups, priests as well, say, actually, you've had 15, 20 years to deal with this. Uh, why weren't bishops held accountable during the first uh, round of revelations back in 2002? So I think some are certainly aware of the sort of level of anger from uh, many Catholics. Others, though, I was a bit surprised um, if anyone <laughs> followed along and watched the live streaming of the, of the interventions from bishops. There was a fair bit of defensiveness. Um, there were a couple bishops who sort of uh, blamed the media for stoking outrage and anger. Um, there were some who seemed uh, pretty frustrated that the work that the Catholic bishops did in the early 2000s to adopt this uh, charter to protect young people, they thought that uh, ordinary Catholics and the media maybe didn't appreciate the amount of work that went into that. And uh, by most accounts, the church is a safer place for children than it ever has been in the past few decades. Uh, there is training for volunteers, training for priests. Uh, there's mechanisms to report abuse. And uh, there are several instances today where uh, abuse has occurred, it's been reported, uh, it, they followed the procedures, and it seems to have worked. Uh, so I think you have some bishops who understand that uh, Catholics are angry about bishops not being held accountable uh, in the same way that uh, priests and other church workers are. And those who think that there's still some sort of, if not conspiracy, at least uh, outrage at the church that's driving this um, this story. Huh. That's really interesting. I, I'm I imagine that we would all benefit from having watched that live stream of the bishops' meeting, as you describe it. Uh, and I, I think you have several hours. <laughs> I mean, because I think that when you think about a meeting like this, you 
I don't know, you think about it as any meeting, something that like, okay, what, what, what are we going to get out of this? What are our objectives? And not the necessarily the real emotional uh, aspects of it for, for everybody involved. It seems like the bishop's meeting is uh, kind of a bureaucratic necessity. And, but in reality, that's where a lot of those pastoral needs get hammered out and where the agendas get set for how parish life and life for Catholics works in America. Uh, it's, it can be pretty high stakes. I, I'm I'm intrigued because I I think it's I think it is important and I I understand how some bishops would would want to you know react to the the policies and the implementation since uh, the Boston Globe revelations in 2002 have done a great deal of good and that took a lot of work and that's a lot of effort and it, it is laudable and the and church is a much much safer place but this this outrage as I understand it is actually really quite different than that because it's directed at bishop accountability it's it's and uh you know holding themselves accountable as as everyone else and i i'm, I'm surprised that they i wonder how you don't recognize that or don't notice that uh I, I wonder what what categories you have to live in or places you have to be for that to happen yeah i mean it, it's one of those things where i i think a fair number of bishops do get it uh just some history so the the bishops conference in 2002 passes this uh, called the Dallas Charter informally. It's um, a document to protect children and minors in the church. And uh, it, it was fairly controversial at the time uh, because it, some priests felt uh, that it actually went too far in that when accusation was made that uh, priests maybe didn't have as many rights to defend themselves as they should. This is uh, the zero tolerance policy. But bishops said that that's what they wanted. The Vatican approved it. Uh, the Vatican actually made a change in church law uh, specifically for the United States so that this very tough uh, zero tolerance policy could be put in place. Uh, now, the controversial part is bishops were mostly exempt from this. Um, there's some bishops who say that actually we weren't because we uh, agree to follow it, but it's voluntary. So uh, this is now 15, 16 years later, we're dealing with the ramifications of this exemption for bishops. Um, the, the issue is, um, if you kind of look at an org chart for how the church works, there is a bishop, and he reports directly to the Pope. Now, obviously, that is completely unsustainable, because in the United <laughs> States alone, there's something like 350 bishops, uh, and that's just one small part of the Church. So the issue is, who is holding bishops accountable? Um, most of them see the Pope once every five years. Um, it's not the maybe the most efficient way to kind of look at uh, job review, performance review. So now this is what bishops are struggling with. How do we hold ourselves accountable? Um, and I think what I've heard from a lot of different Catholic groups is, well, they haven't been able to figure this out in the last 20 years, so it's not a surprise they couldn't figure it out in two months. Um, but like like I said, you do have some bishops who kind of recognize this, that something has to be done. And I, I, I would say not all hope was lost when the announcement was made, because um, what the Vatican said was hold off on voting on these until uh, after a meeting in February when the heads of bishop conferences from around the world will gather in Rome to meet with the Pope to hammer out this issue. So in a way, that kind of bought, I think, uh, bishop's time, but it also raised the stakes of that February meeting substantially. No, and I think it's it's important um, to the, uh, the, the there's 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 some feeling, and you, you mentioned the priests uh, wondering about the zero tolerance policy. There 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 was there's some discussion what happened to the concept of mercy in all of this, and so there's a, there's a back and forth there, and I think there was there there's some pushback 
too on 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 proposals and policy about you know and this this is i think is actually a very hard pill for um the church in the u.s or americans to swallow the uh, the concept of uh, mercy and forgiveness in light of all of this abuse and uh, where does that work in and what does that mean without using that as a cover for not actually dealing with uh, the problems and so I, th- I think that's a, that's a very interesting topic that's you know it's it was in there before but it's it's been talked about even more uh, after this intervention as well absolutely yeah and, and another interesting part of all this um, and there's some truth to it is a lot of these cases are uh, historical now. Um, so the Pennsylvania grand jury report, which I think rightly angered so many Catholics this summer, um, these are cases that happened decades and decades ago. In many instances, the uh, abuser has passed away. Uh, the bishop who mishandled the case or allegedly mishandled the case is uh, retired or he's passed away as well. Um, so in, in a way, I think there's a challenge in how do uh, bishops today, especially younger ones who um, you know, weren't around when these cases were um, were alleged to have uh, been committed. How do they sort of uh, pastorally handle this uh, anger at these historical cases, while at the same time ensuring that there's a process in place that this kind of thing doesn't happen again? I have to say, uh, if there was a single bright light during an otherwise uh, depressing meeting, this was it. Um, you had uh, a long-anticipated uh, vote on this letter, uh, discussion of which has gone back a couple of years. Um, the church felt, uh, bishops felt they needed to say something about what they see as uh, kind of increased uh, racial tensions in the United States. Um, the discussion itself uh, was really positive. Um, you had a lot of bishops from different parts of the country uh, sort of standing up and thanking the committee for its work. Uh, it was probably unfortunate that the vote came during this meeting because uh, obviously the attention was on other matters and I think the bishop's energy was largely on other matters too but uh, I I, I think one of the more interesting questions came from uh, Bishop Chris Coyne of Vermont uh, who is or was previously the head of the bishop's communications committee and he wanted to know like how bishops plan to get this message out there because there's this great um, content, and I know Olga can speak to that. Uh, She's read it much more closely than I have, uh, this rather lengthy document. Uh, There's this great content, but how do we get people, uh, Catholics, to uh, read it and understand what bishops are asking? Um, And it sounded like there was a bit of a plan. There's some educational materials that will be aimed um, for kids in Catholic schools, uh, religious ed programs. But I think his challenge was, how do we get this story into uh, newspapers in front of people on TV, uh, the internet. So I'll be curious to see how they go about uh, promoting this um, meaningful, if somewhat controversial, letter. Yeah, Mike. I think you mentioned there's a lot of content in there, and you know they give Catholics practical steps that they think people can take, um, including acknowledging our own complicity, educating ourselves, and even forming small groups where people enter into dialogue and really challenge one another to think about race. Um, And they include a definition on racism, um, which is very similar to the 1979 letter. One of the biggest differences I found was that in this one, Native Americans, African Americans, and Hispanics get their own section, whereas in the letter, the one they published 39 years ago, kind of put them all together, put these groups all together. But I'm interested, Mike, have you, what has been the response that you've seen from Catholics lay people who have kind of read this letter because i know my what my own the feedback i've gotten but i'm interested in seeing what what the feedback has been on your end 
Yeah, I, I mean, to, to be honest, I'd say it's been fairly muted. Um, I think the, the the unfortunate timing of when the letter came out um, really hurt uh, its chances of getting in front of people. Um, you know, you know, something I found interesting was uh, there was this uh, divide uh, among the bishops still, I think, about acknowledging uh, what is uh, racist and what's not. Uh, in the article that uh, Olga and I, that we wrote together, um, I, I talked about how in the amendment process, this all takes place before the actual meeting, but they show you sort of uh, different proposals to the document. Um, there was a bishop from uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, who suggested that bishops explicitly condemn uh, signs of hate, and he included in that swastikas, um, nooses, and uh, the Confederate flag. And there was some pushback from the drafting committee uh, from a specific bishop, I don't think he was named, uh, who said, well, actually, the Confederate flag for many is a sign of uh, Southern heritage, so let's leave that off. And that, to me, showed that there's um, certainly agreement about condemning racism um, among U.S. bishops, but there's still the cultural issues that kind of permeate our society, uh, you know, make their way into into this body of men as well. It's, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I don't know if it's like morbidly fascinated by the concept that uh, clearly recognizes a sign of a hatred, the Confederate flag. They're, they're not going to name that and they're going to, they're going to claim, well, because some people still see the sign of heritage. Are we not supposed to challenge people's, myself, uh, all of us included, whose heritage includes racism and hatred? Like that, I just I'm fascinated that that the committee would 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 um, let that through. I, I I'm just amazed at that that discussion. Could you could you read yeah, the I mean, room I've, during the, the, when you know that that was proposed? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's so these things. Um, I probably didn't explain it well. Basically, uh, you have the work on this document um, that goes on behind the scenes, and then bishops can submit sort of written um, uh, questions or comments or suggested edits. Uh, the committee reviews them, gives a written response back, and then it's all passed out in this big packet of papers. So mm -hmm. there's there's not sort of a, a verbal uh, dialogue about these questions. Uh, this, this was, here's our document, do you accept it or not? Uh, and it was overwhelmingly accepted with a handful of people voting against it, um, which we don't know why, because it's a secret vote, but uh, at least we can say that <laughs> overwhelming number of bishops uh, accepted this new letter. Yeah. No. And, and, and Olga and Mike, you both talked about there's there's a, there's an overwhelming amount of positive things that they're going to come out of it. I don't want to like just destroy it on a, cu a couple key points, which I think it should be critiqued on, though. Um, but what, what do you think are the biggest positive takeaways? Honestly, I think right now in 2018, when we have so many people who are our political leaders and people in various different, different organizations viewing a lot of racism and xenophobia, I think it is very encouraging to see the bishops publish this. Um, and I think it's an encouraging example to set forward um, for Catholics. But I am hesitant to say that it is the best thing that they could have done. I think, you know, Mike mentioned, I know everyone is kind of thinking stuck on this whole like oh they didn't include the confederate flag thing to me i'm more disappointed in the fact that there wasn't even a distinction made between racism and prejudice and i think um, i would have preferred bishops to say you know they define racism as something that all catholics are capable of which is wrong you know uh, racism is systemic it's institutional there are i would have i think we would have benefited more from having them call out white catholics and say hey here is how you need to acknowledge your privilege. Here is how you need to acknowledge how you guys have been complicit. Um, and I think that Catholics of color would have been more um, encouraged if that is what the letter had said. You know, I've talked to a lot of people who are just 
extremely disappointed in bishops um, and they wish that they would have been um, stronger in this mm. letter. I wonder if, if what Coyne's asking for that then, then could be an opportunity to do that, to, you know, in the rollout of the discussion of this, then to call out uh, white Catholics and, and name, uh, name, name racism as a systemic that you would be part of simply by being part of one group. That, that could be, it would, I know from discussions I've had in parishes that will generate a lot of uh, heat, but I think it, it, could, it could be a wonderful place of, of beginning some reconciliation. Yeah, I think ideally this is is moving us toward some form of reconciliation, right? Um, not that it's going to be, you know, even achievable in our lifetime, but we're we're working on it, and it's it it's something concrete that I guess serves as a jumping off point. You know, I think in that sense, I don't know. I think in that sense, it furthers the conversation a little bit, even if it doesn't quite get us to where we need to be. I mean, do you think that some, uh, like a document is a useful way to do that? I mean, or is, or is the, you know, who's? I guess I feel a little bit like, are enough people going to read this? I'm glad that it is there. I'm glad that it's a statement. Can they do something? What else can we be doing? Well, I think one of the things that's so, uh, when you're dealing with an institution like the church or any like large institution with a lot of things going on. To have a document that's authoritative in some way like this then gives uh, local actors the ability to do some of the things, Olga, that I think rightly you're saying need need to happen. And you have something to back, you know, I'm, I'm not just, this is just not my pet project, but this is in fact something that we need to get moving on. And here's here's the basis of some of this. And now let's let's take it a couple steps further and, and move on that. Because a question I have is um, a beginning an awareness of our complicit uh, our complicity in in the sins of racism uh, throughout the past in the history of the United States and the institution of the church. I've not read it super closely. I know you and uh, Mike have gone through this. What are there mentions uh, of the slaveholding of Catholic institutions or dioceses or religious? I'm a Jesuit. The Jesuit, you know, we're implicated in that. Were, were those mentioned in the document? They definitely they definitely acknowledged America's history um, of slave hold, of owning owning slaves, um, but I there's no and that's another concern that a lot of people have. There's no explicit criticisms of you know the Jesuits or people in government or just there's there's none of that. And I think that's what's been most frustrating for for a lot of people. Um, but I think Harry, I think you're right. I think even even with my own frustrations, I think it's a great starting point because I think. It's important that they wrote this document, but my concern is how are we going to implement it? You know, um, how are we going to bring it to parishes? How are we going to get people to read it? Because not everyone's going to want to read this 32-page document um, on race. You know. Well, I think uh, the good thing I hope that it helps recognize is that the church is a diverse place, right? That there there are Black Catholics, there are Latino Catholics, there are all sorts of every background of Catholics, and that everyone has a right to be in this church and everyone has a right to their voice in this church and uh, it matters I think to sort of see people like yourself in the church even as we appreciate that diversity so in that name they uh, advanced the saint cause for sainthood of sister Thea, Bo- Thea Bowman uh, who was the first African-American religious sister from Canton, Mississippi, the first to head an office of intercultural awareness uh, and she was the first African-American woman to address the USCCB so I think it it helps in holding up these examples of of people who have been faithful Catholics, despite in a lot of cases the church as an institution being really terrible to them uh, mm-hmm. uh, through 
the church's own history of racism. So, Mike, uh, was that a sort of a, I imagine that was a positive conversation around Thea Bowman. We have two minutes. Yeah, no, it was. I, I, I should have said um, that was another uh, sort of uplifting moment, um, especially, I think, because uh, a lot of people are unaware of, of, of this person. And uh, so this is kind of an example of the bishop kind of deciding to have this conversation, to have this vote. Uh, puts her name in the news, and if people are interested, they'll read about her, and it does show an example of someone who uh, stayed in an institution that is uh, sometimes hostile to people of color and uh, kind of did her job and is now being recognized for that. Um, I think that's the kind of thing where you can hold up models of, uh, of people. Uh, Cardinal Sean O'Malley uh, kind of gave a, a nice shout-out uh, to Sister Bowman, um, talking about uh, people he ministered with in the Virgin Islands when he was a bishop there uh, really revere her. So that was another uh, moment I think that uh, dovetailed nicely with this letter. Yeah, I think, and hopefully, as you said, it'll spur people to to learn more about her, to learn uh, more about the lives that are examples to us, and also the, as we mentioned, the church's own uh, history of sinfulness. Uh, so hopefully you can find out more about this on our own website at americamagazine.org slash serious. Uh, I'm Carrie Weber for Father Eric Sundrop and Olga Segura. Thanks very much for listening and have a great day. Listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.